Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello, podcast listeners. Hope you're enjoying your day as much as I am enjoying it currently. That being said, guys, things we're going to be able to talk about in today's podcast. First, we're going to be able to talk about how shares of China EV maker Bide jump after executive announces Tesla battery deal. We're then going to be talking about how Target is planning to mark downs and plan to cut inventory. And and my we're going to talk a little bit in my own opinion, too, about how this could potentially affect Target's stock. We're then going to be talking about how there is there is some people on CNBC who believe that even if oil hits $150 a barrel, that the stock market will reclaim its 2022 highs. And finally, we're going to be talking a little bit more about Bitcoin, why some activists believe Bitcoin could save a lot of potential countries. And at the same time, even Jim Cramer is admitting that you should consider buying Bitcoin. Funny, this is now the second day in a podcast that we had to talk about Jim Cramer. But with that being said, guys, like I always say with beginning my podcast, I'm on this channel is for information purposes only. This whole podcast is for entertainment. But for those of you who are looking to make financial decisions, please go talk to your own professional advisor before making those financial decisions as they understand your financial situations better. I am not a professional in any way, shape, or form. I'm just a podcaster who's speaking on news events and expressing my opinion on those articles. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. From the China markets, share of Chinese EV maker BYD jump after executive says company is set to supply batteries to Tesla. From CNBC, shares electric vehicle maker BYD jumped in Wednesday morning trades after a senior executive said during an interview with Chinese state media that the company is set to supply batteries to Tesla very soon. We're now good friends with also with Elon Musk because we're preparing to supply batteries to Tesla very soon, BYD Vice President Lin Yubo said during an interview with the Chinese state media anchor Kate Q. Rechargeable batteries and photovoltaic and Photovoltaic, the conversion of light from the sun to to electricity, made up 7.29% of BYD's revenue pool in 2021, dwarfed by the more than 50% share taken by automobiles and related products, according to the company's latest annual report. Hong Kong-listed shares of BYD jumped 2.65%, mirroring broader positive sentiment in tech as Hong Seng Tech Index advanced 2.84%. Shares of other Chinese EV makers in Hong Kong also rose, with NIO up 4.8%, while Xpeng surged 5.32%. Mainland listed shares of Chinese battery maker and Tesla supplier Contemporary Amperex Technology, however, tumbled more than 6% following the comments. CATL has roughly 25% of the global EV market share in 2020, far ahead of BYD 7%, according to uh, Nomura Research. Elsewhere in Asia, shares of Panasonic in Japan dipped around 0.8%, while South Korea LG Energy Solution dropped 1.39%. Both companies also supply batteries to Tesla. Okay. This is pretty big deal for BYD to be able to work with Tesla. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, I remember reading articles in the past that China is a huge buyer of Tesla cars. Okay. I mean, that's why companies like Neo have been formed because 
people in China see a market for electric vehicles. Now, it's it's a good day for BYD. I mean, they love their they love Tesla cars in China. So at the end of the day, I mean, if if you guys are a little more daring, I say for investing overseas, maybe BYD is the company. But it's also interesting to also point out too that if BYD is able to start doing this battery stuff with Tesla, does that mean the COVID lockdowns are coming to an end in China? And does it mean that things are opening back up? Or maybe BYD isn't in Shanghai or in Beijing like we've read in the past. It's hard to tell. But it's still interesting to look at because, I mean, at the end of the day, if this is happening, it means there might be less restrictions coming from China soon. And maybe COVID is officially coming to an end. Who knows? Next article in the retail sector from CNBC. Target expects squeeze profits from aggressive plan to get rid of unwanted inventory. Okay. From CNBC. Target warned investors Tuesday that its profits will take a short-term hit as it marks down unwanted items, cancels orders, and takes aggressive steps to get rid of extra inventory. The retailer slashed its profit margin expectations for the for the fiscal second quarter to account for a wave of goods winding up deeply discounted or on the clearance rack. Shares closed on Tuesday at $115.98, down 2.31%. Quote, we thought it was prudent for us to be decisive, act quickly, get in front of this, address and optimize our inventory in the second quarter, take those actions necessary to remove the excessive inventory and set ourselves up to continue to be guest relevant with our assortment. CEO Brian Cornell said in an interview with CNBC. By taking swift action, Cornell said Target can fend off further pain and make room for merchandise that customers do want, such as groceries, beauty items, household essentials, and and seasonal categories like back-to-school supplies. He said the company store and website are seeing strong traffic and a very resilient customer, but one who no longer shops popular COVID pandemic. In the back half of the year, if Target anticipates profit margins, sorry, hold on skipped a little bit there. We wanted to make sure that we continue to lean into those categories that are relevant today. He said, Target anticipates its operating margin rate for the second quarter will be around 2%. That's lower than the outlook it gave less than three weeks ago when anticipated its operating margin rate would be roughly around the first quarter operating margin rate of 5.3%. In the back half of the year, Target anticipates profit margins will be in the range around 6%, better than its average performance for the fall season in the years before the pandemic began. The company said it still expects revenue growth to be in the low to mid-digit single digits for the full year and maintain a market share in 2022. So in my opinion, because I have worked at Target in the past, and I can tell you this much right now. I mean, I've, I've said in the past, Brian Cornell is a super smart CEO. Okay. And what's probably going to end up happening with their excessive stuff. Okay. They're probably going to figure out what stores and, and I can't confirm this part because I never looked into that deeply into Target, how they handled this situation when I used to work for Target. But they're probably going to look at the numbers at their stores across the United States. And they're probably just going to be like, okay, how do we get rid of this excessive inventory that we have? Well, one thing you could do is if you see that a certain store is like, let's say a popular shirt is being bought at one store, but it's not being bought at another, they're probably going to end up just shipping all those shirts to that store on the excessive inventory list that they have. Or another thing they're probably going to end up doing too is they're going to probably have a lot of clearance racks up across the Target store. Now, those clearance racks, I mean, maybe they put it in their seasonal section as well. I mean, if you think about it right now, the only seasonal items that Target is going to be facing going forward, you have 4th of July, 
And then I think come after 4th of July, they start having the back to school stuff up at the target stores. And then after back to school happens, then it's, you get ready for, I think pretty much Christmas. It's been a while, but I, I just remember like we had one section of the store that was constantly always changing based off the season of what was happening. And then throughout the store, you would have a clearance rack here or there just to get rid of stuff. And Target's pretty good at getting rid of the stuff at the end because they, I mean, remember when you shop at Target, it's like, it's like coming home and people enjoy shopping at Target. So Target's not going to, I don't think Target's going to suffer that much. I mean, they won't make as much money, but they will suffer a little bit. Continuing with the article, retailers from Walmart and Gap face a glut of inventory as inflation pinch shoppers skip over categories that were popular during the first two years of the pandemic. Gap, for instance, said customers wanted party dresses and office clothes instead of many fleece hoodies and active clothes. The company has Walmart said some some families are making fewer discretionary purchases as the price of gas and groceries rise. Abercrombie and Fitch and American Eagle Outfitters both reported a steep in inventory levels up 45% and 46% respectively from a year ago. From a mix of items not selling and supply chain delays easing. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's just, I mean, they say later on in the article too that Cornell said Target decided to roll out its new inventory plan after hearing retail competitors had similar woes. He said the company also wanted to get ahead of key sales seasons, such as back to school and holidays when state merchandise, sorry, when stale merchandise could clutter stores and drive away customers. No, they're not going to drive away customers. In fact, if anything, Target's going to figure out how to get rid of all this stuff and they're going to figure out how to get rid of it really, really quickly. So, I mean, Brian Cornell is going to keep running the ship pretty well. So, I mean, I do expect their earnings potentially to get hit. But I guess at the end of the day too, how hard they get hit, Target's about ready to raise their dividend potentially in their stock. How much they raise it could give us an idea of how much money either A, they currently have on their balance sheet for Target, but also it might give us an idea of how they're feeling on the excessive inventory. We'll find out real soon because that that report, I believe, is coming out soon for Target. So keep an eye out for Target, guys. Things could get extremely interesting with their stock price potentially soon. Next article... Oil won't cripple economy, market J.P. Morgan's macro-colvonic claims, okay? Now, we've been talking a lot about oil in this, and this guy is claiming right now that the market's going to still be able to recover from this, okay? Because the article goes into more detail saying, even if oil hits $150 a barrel, the we'll, we'll see back to 2022 highs, okay? So let's get into this article. Sorry, it's taking a little bit longer to load this one for some reason, but it will work out in the end. All right, here we go. Okay, from CNBC. JP Morgan's macro call event predicts oil is surging higher, but so are are stocks. Kolvanek, who serves as the firm's chief global market strategist and co-head of global research, believes that the U.S. economy is strong enough to handle oil prices as high as $150 a barrel. I hope oil does not hit $150 a barrel. That would just be insane. Quote, there are some potential further spikes in oil, especially given the situation in Europe and the war. So there wouldn't be surprise, he told CNBC Fast Money on Tuesday, but it could be short-lived spike and eventually sort of normalize, normalize. Yeah, I don't want normalize, normalize of $150 a barrel. Sorry. 
WTI crude is trading around the three-month high, settling at 0.77% to $119.41 a barrel on Tuesday. Brent crude closed at $120.57 mark. The bullish move came as Shanghai reopened from a two-month COVID lockdown, opening the door for higher demand and more upside. Quote, we think the consumer can handle oil at 130, 135 because we have been back, because we've had that back in 2010 to 2014. Inflation adjusting, that's basically the level. So we think the consumer can handle that. Okay, this guy has lost sense of reality. I'm sorry, we got to call this out right here, okay? In California right now, there are some points, some parts in California where you're paying over $6 a gallon for gas right now, okay? That's insane. I mean, I read an article the other day maybe it was an art, maybe it was a meme. I can't remember, but it's pretty much was saying that we were, we're going to end up spending an extra $800 a year on gas, $800 more a year. People's budgets are already thin as it is. And this guy's claiming that, oh yeah, people can handle it. This guy's so out of reality. That's just sickening. Colvin, who has earned top honors from Institute Investors for accredited forecast multiple years in a row. His, ba- his base case in the U.S. and global economy will avoid a recession. But at financial conference last week, J.P. Morgan Chase Chairman CEO Jamie Dimon told investors he's preparing for an economic hurricane, which could be a minor one or super, standy, super storm Sandy. Colvin contends it's vital to be ready for all possibilities. Quote, we do forecast some slowdown, he said. Nobody's saying that there are no problems. His firm of official S&P 500, your target is 4,900. But in a recent note, uh, Kolvanik speculated the index would end the year around 4,800, still on par with the all-time highs hit on January 4th. Right now, the S&P is 16% low. It's record high. Quote, we think, we think investors will stick in cash. Yeah, people are not sticking in cash. We don't think investors will stick in cash for the next 12 months, you know, waiting for this recession, Kolvik said. We, if we continue to see the consumer, especially on the service side, holding up, which we do expect, then we think investors will gradually come back into the equity markets. Colvec top call remains energy. A group has been bullish since 2019. Actual valuations went lower despite the stock price appreciation. Colvec says earnings grow faster, so multiples are actually lower now in the energy than they were a year ago. Yeah, this guy is completely out of touch with reality, okay? People are spending a lot of money on gas. I'm spending a lot of money on gas right now just to go just to be able to go coach volleyball currently right now, which is one of the jobs I do besides doing this podcast. I mean, this guy is so out of touch with reality. It's ridiculous. I mean, even CNN business is reporting, and this article was from May of, so last month in May, they're saying that the oil stocks are the new fang stocks. Okay. Granted, the oil stocks have a long ways to go before they catch up, according to the article from CNN. But at the end of the day, if they're already claiming that Fang, that oil's the new Fang stock, that means the markets believe that oil's just going to keep going up. Okay. Even CNN, like we talked about CNN business, many investors, including Warren Buffett, are betting that higher crude oil prices are here to stay for a while. It's a good wager thanks to the spike in oil prices from $75 a barrel at the end of last year to above 100 now. Nearly all top performers in the S&P 500 are energy stocks. It's true. And it says, so who needs all the so-called fangs of big tech? Facebook owner Meta, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google parent Alphabet when you can own a stock that actually trades with the ticker symbol fang. That would be oil and gas company. Oh, so this is how they're new, explaining the new fang. Diamondback Energy, which has already jumped nearly 25%. 
with its leaders. Once it ascended, NASDAQ have plunged. Netflix has plummeted more than 70%, making the S&P 500 the biggest loser this year. Meta platforms is more down than 40%. But it's too late to cash in on the... But is it too late to cash in the big gold rush? The sector remains incredibly volatile and short sellers are increasing their bets against the energy stocks, hoping to profit from the possibility of a further fall in prices. Oil stocks are the biggest market losers Monday when the Dow fell more than 650 points. Yeah, explain that right now then how currently today, ExxonMobil just hit a new eight-year high. We might be able to cover that a little bit more in tomorrow's podcast, but I mean, right now, oil is where everything is at right now. That's where all the money's being made in Wall Street is in the oil companies. And like we had mentioned yesterday, Jim Cramer's even saying we should get into oil. And as I mentioned yesterday, Jim Cramer missed the boat on oil. The time to invest in oil was back in 2020 when everything was crashing. Okay. I'm not joking either. Like, at one point, ExxonMobil was trading under $40 a share, if I'm not mistaken. I know for sure it was under 50, but I swear at one point it was under 40. Cause I remember I was talking to a coworker at work and we were talking about investing into oil. And I just kept buying on the way down for Exxon during that time. And he ended up like pulling the trigger later on. But that was like the time to get into oil was back in 2020. Because that's when it would like that's when the oil was hit the hardest. But these people are just so out of touch with reality. Oh, the consumer can handle it. Shut up, dude. You are so out of reality right now. I like to see some of these people like stripped away of all the money they've earned one day or like not even one day. Like when there's an economic turmoil like this, they should be like, okay, we want you to feel what it's like to be the average American and just suck everything away from them and make them like make like 22,000 a month or something. Not 22,000 a month. That's too much money. 22,000 a year during a recession like this. And then and then come back and tell me, be like, oh yeah, they can handle it. This guy's so out of touch with reality. It's disgusting. On to Bitcoin now. Human rights advocates tell Congress Bitcoin is essential in countries with collapsing currencies. Ooh, ooh, ooh. do go on CNBC. From Washington, from CNBC. A week after prominent technologist public slammed crypto for being too risky in a letter to Congress, human rights advocates from around the world have sent a rebuttal to U.S. lawmakers defending the digital asset for the, for the access they provide to people in countries where local currencies are collapsing or cut off from the outside world. Maybe one of them is Russia. Maybe. Some 21, hum- 21 human rights supporters from 20 different countries said in the letter that they have relied on Bitcoin and stablecoins, which allow trading in and out of crypto without going through a bank, uh, quote, as have tens of millions of others living under authoritarian regimes or unstable economies. The lobbying of U.S. legislation comes as Congress considers laws that would regulate digital assets that have been particularly volatile this year. Senator Sin- uh, Cynthia Loomis of Republican Wyoming and Crystal uh, Gillibrand, Democrat from New York, introduced legislation on Tuesday to create regulatory framework for the crypto markets because U.S. lawmakers effectively set policy and set standards for the world. A uh, Derconia response in Washington, D.C. could have major re- repercussions across the globe. Beyond their use in trading and speculative investing, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have seen increased utility in recent months as people from numerous uh, different countries sent tens of millions of dollars to Ukraine via crypto payment rails to support the war effort and defense against Russia. Meanwhile, Ukrainians fleeing the country were able to take their money with them in the form of crypto stored on the USB drive. A similar narrative played out in Afghanistan in August when the Taliban took over the country over the banks there closed down. I am so glad they had mentioned that. Okay. 
because we're going to probably see that again with Sri Lanka potentially in the making because of uh, at least at the time of recording the podcast, I think it was like a week or two ago. It was being reported that Sri Lanka was on the verge of collapse. Energy prices were too high. They can barely afford food. And I still think there's going to be other collapses happening across the world currently right now. I mean, even uh, I think, was it Central Africa we spoke about, about Bitcoin, I think, where like one one central coin was like 0.0001 US dollar or something. And like it was better for them to have Bitcoin potentially. This is also the same Congress that's been saying like, oh, we shouldn't be using Bitcoin. Why? So you can keep printing more money. At least there's a limit to how much Bitcoin there can be out there in the world and to be mined. You just pass a bill or you just sign an executive order to just print more money in DC. Sometimes these people sicken me. They they, they just, they, they act like they're there for the people. And then they're like, quickly turn on the printing machine so that we can print more money for these useless bills that we're trying to pass. It's, it's sickening and insane at the end of the day. Goes on to say, Bitcoin provides financial inclusion and empowerment because of open and permissionless. The latest letter said, we are not an industry financiers or professional lobbyists, but humanitarians and, and democracies advocates who have used Bitcoin to assist people when risk, when other options have failed. The letter cites Nigeria, Turkey, and Argentina as a place where local currencies are no longer functioning properly and people need the reliable stability of de- decentralized digital money for protection. That's funny because they've been telling El Salvador to stop using Bitcoin as a legal tender in their country. And and El Salvador uses the US dollar for their currency, if I'm not mistaken. Last week, a group of prominent technologists presented Congress with the opposite side of the story. They said that the world is witnessing a growing number of catastrophes related to blockchain technology and crypto assets investments and described those events as inevitable outcome as a technology that is built for purpose that will remain forever unstable as a foundation of large-scale economic activity. Yeah, they're trying to control the narrative. Okay. It's it's ridiculous. They they I mean, think about it, guys. If you use an iPhone right now, you probably sometimes if you are, you are using Apple Pay on your phone. If you are, right? I mean, these people are just insane. They they want to just be able to control the money supply, hence why they're like, "Oh, Bitcoin's not that good." It's good to know that there's humanitarian aids that are admitting that, "Hey, if it isn't for Bitcoin, we're going to struggle in the countries that we're currently in. And, and this is where it gets interesting with Bitcoin towards the end. Okay. Cause now Jim Cramer's talking about it and we got to point this out. Cause sometimes it feels like Jim Cramer misses the boat or maybe Jim Cramer's on it this time. Quote there are from CNBC money talks with Jim Cramer. There are fortunes made in crypto. Why Jim Cramer recommends buying Bitcoin or Ethereum with one caveat. Okay. From CNBC, Jim Cramer, host of CNBC Mad Money and Investing Club, is a believer in cryptocurrencies, but only as speculative investment that a small part of your portfolio, less than 5%. Quote, I cannot tell you how to own, how, I cannot tell you not to own crypto. I own Ethereum, Cramer tells CNBC, make it. Cramer initially bought into the order to bid on an NFT or a non-fungible token at a charitable event. They wouldn't let me do dollars, he said. I had to buy it in Ethereum, so I researched it and I got some qualities I liked. Sorry, yeah, it's, it's got some qualities I liked. Kramer argues that crypto's long-term value, quote, is, is it's timeless as a decentralized peer-to-peer currency that could be widely adopted over time. He recommends Bitcoin and Ethereum, which have the largest followings and have seen the most legitimate. 
or and it seemed the most legitimate. Owning crypto can also be a good short-term bet and take advantage of the momentum from swings and prices, especially since there are many enthusiastic investors in the space who are willing to buy high, he says. However, there's a catch. You must admit that it's speculative and know that you your bet might not pay off with any investment. Past performance is not guaranteed of future returns. The recent downturn in the crypto correction, the recent downturn in the crypto market underscores the risk as there are many as there's sorry, sorry guys, sometimes it's a struggle when I'm reading and I'm so excited to read this stuff. The recent downturn in the crypto market underscores the risk as there's no way of knowing how much crypto might decline in value. This is why experts typically advise investors not to put as much money as they're comfortable losing. Because there's risk, Kramer says you should never borrow money to own crypto. Borrow for your house, borrow for your car, but don't borrow for crypto. Crypto should be treated differently and then safer long-term investments like blue chip stocks. Don't don't put it in Procter & Gamble class. It's not Coca-Cola. It's not Apple, he says. Kramer recommends allocating no more than 5% of your investment to crypto as well as 5% gold and other speculative investments. So despite the, the inherent risk in owning crypto, Kramer says he would never discourage someone from investing because of all the fortunes that have been made in it. He also believes it's possible for a whole new group of people to still make fortunes in it too. See, Jim, I believe Bitcoin is potentially going to change the world in the fact, potentially, and I say potentially because granted it could fail tomorrow, but it virtually prevents the U.S. government or any governments around the world around the world to just continue to print money to solve issues. Okay, that's one reason why I personally like Bitcoin because I remember sitting there thinking about it and I was like, "There's 21 million Bitcoins that will ever be created, and not everyone's going to be able to get a whole coin at all." But at the end of the day, what makes Bitcoin just intriguing is that it allows government. It pretty much takes away the power of money from the government. At least I'm not a Bitcoin expert. Don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not some expert in Bitcoin. I just looked at it was this will eventually allow government to lose power over the money supply system. That's how I looked at it. And there's things I'm still trying to learn from Bitcoin. I mean, like I said, I'm not a Bitcoin expert and I try to learn as well, learn as best I can. I mean, I believe crypto is a thing that's going to be big. And granted, to figure out what coins are going to be decent, like you have to do a lot of research. But at the end of the day, if Jim Cramer is saying about this, I mean, there's a chance there could be money made. There's also a chance that maybe he bought too high of a position and he's trying to recover some losses. It's hard to tell. But it's also something I do have to mention too about crypto is crypto has been hammered hard this year. I think I got a, I think I got a newsletter in an email recently that said like, that Bitcoin had jumped 6% in a day to above 31,000, like the first time in a few months. But to be fair, across the entire market in general, there's just a lot of losses across the board, whether it's in oil, whether, well, not oil, oil's doing well, whether it's in technology or Bitcoin, just across the field of the market in general, it's just things aren't going well. Maybe Jim Cramer's already missed the boat and doesn't realize it. It's hard to tell. But at the end of the day, like I say, in my opinion, Bitcoin takes a little bit of power out of the government's hands. So that's everything for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast as much as I've enjoyed, enjoyed doing the research of this podcast. I always ask that if you did like this podcast, that you please like and share this podcast and please share it with friends or family so that we can continue to help grow this podcast and be able to keep talking about what's happening in the stock market or just in the markets in general so that we can figure out what's going on since CNBC and, and Fox Business and all these other business companies don't really talk about everything that's happening in the markets at times. 
With that being said, guys, thank you for listening to today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye.